Good evening, and welcome to a special edition of No Lights Paranormal Podcast, featuring three nerdy paranormal investigators researching spooky stories to discuss them on the web. And as the intro said, happy Halloween. My Yay! name is Joe. I am the lead investigator. My name is Teresa. I am your researcher. I'm Alex. This week, I'm just the equipment setter-upper. Dig it. Alex from Target. <laughs> Happy Halloween, guys! Thank you so much for sticking around with us for so long. Today is our 31st episode being released what the on fuck October did you just 31. Say? Is it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I lost track of the weeks. It's fine. And it is, of course, <laughs> Halloween, the best holiday of the year, yes. arguably. Also, hopefully, you guys are having a safe Halloween out there because there's a lot of crazies out in this world we know. Things happen, so have a safe Halloween out there, guys. Indeed, indeed. Stay safe, peace, love, and chicken grease. Exactly. And candy corn. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we have actually put together a really phenomenal episode for you guys. Uh, starting off, um, Joe is going to tell us a story about some really interesting sort of origin sort of stuff, uh, and then we're going to jump into some actual... Um, spaces across the world that are said to be haunted and have a very scary bloody historical past at least in my story's case um so yeah i mean the the thing of this was to choose the scariest story yeah mine's <laughs> so. a good one i like mine mm-hmm. <coughs> definitely mine kind of yeah. fits a, a weird like thin line between like paranormal <laughs> and true crime see and I mine is actually like a <laughs> super true story but then you get into, you know, the parts of it that are paranormal related, which, you know, people could argue is true or not. Mine is also a super true story and a little bit ironic for somebody like Teresa who will probably get a kick out of it when I start explaining it. I dig it. I okay. dig it. So let's kick off with Well, I'm Joe. glad you guys had an easier time searching this than I did because <laughs> this is one thing that I've noticed. What? You're shaking your head. To be fair, I did not. Yeah. I Do you know how many that. fucking Baba Yaga stories okay. I went through before Actually, I Actually, I did see a Baba Yaga thing on there. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, most of it's all folklore, right? Yeah. Like, and it's and not, that's the thing that I It's noticed. not true stories. It's folklore. Well, see, mine is not at all folklore as far as the history goes. But then, like, you get into these different cases of paranormal activity, and they are so far back in history, uh, and this place is so incredibly well-kept secretive that there's absolutely no way to tell if these stories are true or not. <coughs> so they're, they're sort of folklore, And I'm glad you guys actually said that because it kind of goes into the premise of this. Um, as I was looking up the stories and going through all of them, and I saw every single one of them and did the whole research, mm-hmm. TikTok, the Google, everything... Um, I noticed, like, a lot of the stories I read, I just didn't find spooky or yeah. scary. So I started to think, and it kind of sent me down a rabbit hole a little bit, like, am I becoming desensitized by doing the podcast and ghost hunting? Like, do I not find it as spooky or as scary as I used to? Therefore, it's not really relevant to me because I go through this. So it's just like, man, that's this, that's this. Am I becoming desensitized to it? No, I, I, so, I get behind that idea 100%. So I went with a different approach for this. Well, I, I think went it all with, reverts back to episode six and the title of episode six, which where it is scary movies aren't. aren't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I decided to go back and kind of research the world history a little bit and find out where this all originated from. Mm-hmm. And what was the earliest recording of a, a ghost, a, an entity, a folklore story? Mm-hmm. 
something like that. And I found this article. Actually, I found two, so it's kind of like a two-part story. But I found this article in the Smithsonian Magazine website. Interesting. I love it already. Yeah. And it's actually a 3,500-year-old Babylonian tablet may contain the earliest depiction of a ghost. No shit. Um, and they actually have a picture of the tablet. And I'll show Teresa. Oh, that's neat. Very I'll see if I can post the, web- or the page on the website. Um, so the tablet made in ancient Babylonian around 1500 BCE. For anybody that follows that, that's a long freaking time ago. But in the <laughs> grand scheme of things, it's not really that long ago. I mean, really, yeah. Uh, it may be the earliest known de- de- this depiction <laughs> of a ghost. A top scholar of ancient Middle Eastern inscriptions argues in a new book. The clay tablet is part of, part of a guide to exercising ghosts held in the collections of the British Museum. Uh, reports De La Alberge from The Observer. Irving Finkel, a curator in the London Muse- Museum, Middle Eastern Department, and the author of the forthcom- forthcoming book, The First Ghost, Most Ancient, <clears throat> Ancient of Legacies, says the image on the tablet, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. The image on the tablet is only visible when viewed from above under a light. What? Neat. The museum acquired the artifact in the 19th century, but has never been exhibited. Uh... You'll probably never find it. <coughs> Excuse me. You'll probably never give it a second thought because the area where the drawings are looks like it's got no writing whatsoever. But when you examine it and hold it under a lamp, those figures leap out out at you from across the tablet. That got me thinking. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, it's a tablet about a ghost, and then you can only see it under a certain light or a certain way you hold it, and. For all those who do ghosts on out there, how do you see a ghost? You don't see it by straight looking at it. You see it out of the corner of your eye. Yeah, or you yeah. see it by not looking at it. So it leads credence. It, it's kind of interesting. Um, so, and it goes on to talk about, in, it's in this book called The First Ghost. Uh, you can read all about it there. I'm just kind of going to give a quick synopsis of it. <clears throat> but in the actual tablet itself, it gives lessons in dealing with ghosts mm-hmm. uh, as far as not, not exorcism but just getting them out of your house Dig it. Okay. Uh, because there was one story of in the actual tablet itself of the guy paraphrased it in the article and I found it hilarious Uncle Dave came back nice. <laughs> and he's been married three times so the quickest way to get him out is to have a woman lead him out of the house oh my gosh like that's that's it's insane. It, it really gives like the origin of the ghost hunting experience. I mean, that kind of makes sense, though. I guess if you if you know Uncle Dave's uh, penchant for pretty girls, right? So, and what do we do whenever we go into ghost hunt? Is we find out about the person there. Now, yes, mm-hmm. some people get pigeonholed with it, but a lot of people actually take that and go with it and yeah. use it for something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it actually goes in with the Mesopotamian, I guess, lore aspect. Of the underworld, guardians of the underworld, and how to get them there, and what portals to go to, and all this. It goes into great detail on how to actually get them out of your house. So, you can. I'll post the website on there. <clears throat> you can look at it and read that article for yourself because it's actually very entertaining. I already read it. Uh, yeah, it's okay, actually. Posted. Yeah, thank you. Um, but that actually sent me down another rabbit hole. Okay. Okay. So the tablets from Mesopotamia, over thirty-five hundred years old. 
the premise of this podcast is friends sitting around a campfire sharing a ghost story or yeah. a spooky story. That's Absolutely. the whole premise of why we started this. So I looked that up and found out that horror literature actually started that way. <laughs> and it started in the Roman Empire. Neat. I wish I would have saved it, but I didn't because I'm stupid. So um, I think my only question is, is that the first recorded time? No, that's not the first recorded time. The tablet possibly is, but this the one in the Roman time, it wasn't the first recorded. It was when horror started to take on a new genre. Right. Uh, they had the scary stories, but it wasn't written on paper. It was just told by mouth. Sure, sure. Like, people right. sharing stories here and there. And that was the point that I was getting at, is there was a very <laughs> long period of time prior, probably, to your Babylonian tablets, where right. it was just oral tradition versus... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> but yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Just got the cough this yeah. week. No, I've had it all weeks. Um, but yeah, this writer in... Roman times actually took a story that he heard from a group of friends about this house in Rome that was supposedly haunted. And he took it as whatever, it's just, you know, a story. But then he actually went to the house and actually saw it and wrote the story about it. And that book, I'll have to look it up. I wish I would have saved it because I didn't, because I just got busy doing something else. Um, but. Greek that, writer Lucian yes. and Flynn's fellow Roman uh, Plautus also wrote memorable ghost stories. Uh, yeah, they're talking like 856 AD, talking about a poltergeist. Yes. <clears throat> so that goes back quite a way. So that kind of changed the whole thing of what I wanted to talk about is if this podcast is the premise of just friends sitting around a campfire, how many of those stories out there are actually based on truth. Facts, right? So then I started looking a little bit more into it. Going down a rabbit hole of old-time ghost stories and all that. And I found out that there is actually ghost stories written on pottery. No kidding. Uh, Exorcisms written on pottery from back in, like, Babylonian times, Mesopotamia, India, all the old countries. Like, they put it on not just paper, but they put it on, like, ceramics as a way for future generations to deal with this stuff. So it kind of got me thinking a little bit. With all that we have in this new age, because I'm sure all you guys know this out there, anytime you do something, you think you're the first one to do it. <laughs> it's, it's a thing we have as kids, like, oh, my parents ever did this, even though the, the parents know exactly what you're doing. Right. <laughs> So how much of what we do, because we talked in previous podcasts about the modern age of ghost hunting and the, the fathers of ghost hunting as we know it today that you mentioned, I can't remember their names. Most definitely. Like but, the spirituality yes, yes. Uh, episode was where we talked about that in detail. <clears throat> right. How much of that was taken from those tablets, ceramic pots, stuff like that? How much of it do we know nowadays comes from that, but we don't know it? I mean, to be fair, with your story, I kind of have to edit mine. So, in the Spiritualist Movement podcast that we did, mm. I would have to call that <laughs> the father of modern day ghost time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I was going with it. It's Yeah, yeah. Like I said, in that tablet in there, it literally described how to get rid of ghosts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going with the Mes- Mesopotamian way and their religion and folklore and 
all that. Sure. Um, now, yes, each religion, each country has their own way of dealing with them. Like Christian, you go to a priest, you pray mm-hmm. to God, you get it taken care of. Mesopotamia, you go to the goddess of the underworld to get it taken care of. Egypt, kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, with all of the, the research that I did into this, like I said, I didn't pick a story because I got desensitized to something and it didn't become as spooky to me. But now that I read this and did the research and found how far back ghost hunting actually goes, it kind of reinvigorated me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm like, oh, wow, like they it. have it on tablets. They have it on ceramic pots. They have it on all this stuff. They have it on hieroglyphics mm-hmm. and pyramids. And this, of, is, this is by far not modern <clears throat> imagination getting the better of us no. with all of these 1970s and 80s horror flicks. This is, this is real stuff that people have been witnessing from the beginning of May. Right. And I, I mean... To be fair, um, and I think I kind of expressed this to you like when we first got together as friends and started ghost hunting. Right. Like at that point, I already had been ghost hunting for a while. Right. Like she's already been ghost hunting for a while. You've already been doing your own thing for a while. And like I had gotten to the point where I got desensitized enough that like, and we'll sneak peek. Spoiler alert! We'll talk about this next episode. You know, everybody episode. starts in graveyards, but like. I got to the point where I was falling asleep in graveyards. They were kind of boring. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm still a fairly firm believer that the vast majority of graveyards probably are not haunted. Not haunted. Mm. But see, hold on. This is what brings up an interesting point. In that tablet, they actually do talk about it. You can probably read it in the article if you mm-hmm. read on. The Mesopotamian people in this tablet actually believe that, yes, the soul passed on. But as I've said before, the energy within the body stays. Yeah. So they actually viewed it as you're a remnant of your former self mm-hmm. walking on this earth. So the ghosts that are walking around and all that, it's not actually the person. It's the remnant of that energy. Well, see, that is and what I And they literally said that within the tablet. Mind you, I read that before I said it, so I'm not. Which, that's I'm smart. what I would call a residual <laughs> haunting. That's what I would call right. a residual haunting. What when the I, soul is not attached to the energy. What I would say, and it's weird because there's... Okay, going down this rabbit hole, clearly there is like a religious versus paranormal like crossover somewhere in the mix, right? Mm. Because every every faith has their own version of an afterlife, version of right. this. So weirdly, what you're saying to me lends credence to like the weird like um, Southeast Asian like well, Hindu Buddhist. You know what I mean? I, I, I could see how you figured to out. To where they, where they don't see the soul energy is evaporating as much as recycled. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. I um, think that's what I was trying to get at. But I mean, I even if you want to go the religious route, even the Bible talks about ghosts. It does, yeah. I mean, Revelation in itself is a spooky-ass chapter in the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... It, it, it just goes, like, I never knew how far back this went. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought this just started, like, with the spiritualist movement. And right. granted, people seen things throughout history and all this and all that. But I never knew it went back that far. So, and obviously, we only can only go so far because right. they didn't record history up and, until and a certain exactly point. that's exactly right. Um, My story actually has a piece of it that starts way back in uh, 400 and something uh, uh, BC or AD, sorry, and um, yeah, it actually talks about yeah people having yeah. but issues. Yeah, what sparked in my head when I was doing the research on this is 
kind of something fantastic, at least from my standpoint. Can you imagine living in a world where doing this isn't considered passe? <laughs> right. To where it's like considered what passe? Like, like you're weird for doing this. Like it's no man. I, I get it. Like you go out. Like we've talked about many times on this podcast, even on a porch. Like how many times I've been out to a bar and be like, "You're that ghost hunting dude," and I'm like, "Jeez." What's, what's super interesting about it, though, is if you take... Yes, yeah. yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If, 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 I, if the three of us would have walked into that same exact tavern a decade ago and been like, this is what we do, people would have like literally avoided us as the fucking weird folks. I mean, they do that now. <laughs> These days... Do you, do you ring a bell? Same thing. True enough. These days, people are intrigued. What's going to happen in 10 more years? But Maybe see, people won't even care. There's the pun right there. Exactly. Because, like you've talked about before, recycled. The idea is the cycles, right? So, like, think 1700s. You talked about shit like this, you're a witch. Exactly. Right, right. right. You're but getting hung or burned. Where I'm going with it is, you said it yourself, now it's considered kind of like, Man, okay, yeah, you do that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be making a resurgence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think we've said before, like, thing, weird things are just popping up. Now, history has always had a, a tendency to repeat itself throughout human history. But so. also, if you look at certain things, like, not only in the Christian faith, but other faiths all, faith also, um, things are happening in the world nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it's that river over in the Middle East that's drying up? Yeah, which is insane. Yeah. So it's like... Yeah, we won't even discuss that because then we're going to get into biblical stuff and then I'm going to like go on a big tangent and then I'm going to get Joe started and it's it'll end up being... Oh, no, I know how to ignore that. Uh, <laughs> like, we'll lose Halloween somewhere in the mix. But no, no, no. It, it, to me, this is all included into one thing because you cannot have that and not be interested in ghosts. Like, True. I'm sorry, you, you can't be a Christian and not... Be curious about I'm, the afterlife. I'm paraphrasing here. But if you believe in someone in the sky and not believe that there is something else nefarious out there, mm-hmm. you're either delusional or you're just plain dumb. It's like, balance, right? So you yes. can take it the other way completely. Mm-hmm. You can't believe in the devil without believing in God. Facts. Yin and yang. Facts. Uh, but there would be no what I'm saying is, what is it building up to? That was my question. What is it building up to? Because we've been out ghost hunting before, and we can even say, like, mm, things get, they, they go off and then they come down. They go off and then they come down. But upon doing this research, you see a pattern. And it's weird when you see it. And I'll like, describe it later on because it's a lot, and I don't want to take up all the time. Uh, but you, we've already discussed this is going to be a thick soda. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm talking like I will talk forever. Um, so because this, this, this intrigued me. Um, it, it, you start noticing a pattern on how things operate and how things work. Welcome to and, the Dead Lights Paranormal three hour episode. Right. <laughs> uh, so it just kind of intrigued me. And like I said, I'll talk about it later with these guys and maybe have an entire podcast devoted to it about the algorithm and everything that I kind of noticed. Sure. But I just found it very interesting on the worldview on ghost hunting and ghosts in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, growing up, we always thought it was like, don't talk about that. 
we've talked about that on other podcasts. Like, just don't mention it. Like, in, down in, you know, Virginia and all that. I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't see shit. <laughs> you heard your name in the woods? No, you didn't. Yeah. To where you now, saw some lights? No, you didn't. <laughs> to where now people are going after that kind of stuff. Right, right. So, and that was... So, by doing this, what are we bringing to it ourselves? Ooh, boy. Ooh. And, you know what? <laughs> like I said, it could go deep. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, Joe. And... You've heard me say this to my wife, who the first time that I said it was absolutely flabbergasted on the porch mm-hmm. when I told her not to record EVPs in my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, do you know they're coming out with a new Ouija board? Yeah, on your phone? Yeah. I saw that shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, thanks Hasbro yeah, or Mattel right. or whatever the fuck makes Ouija yeah, boards. Probably yeah. not. But you know what? Here's the thing. I am not, weird to believe, I am not anti Ouija board. I think it's just another tool. It's and just it's, another tool. I agree with that. It, it's it can be again, good. it's one it. of those weird things. It's got a stigma to it, right? But by, again, by to far, me it's no different than an EVP. By far I do not believe that it is like uh, innately, you know, evil or wicked or whatever. I think that it's just another tool <laughs> uh, to be used in the arsenal of ghost hunters to connect with ghosts. With that said, <laughs> your accent popped out there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> with that, that was said, a weird accent too. <laughs> it was uh, that was very southern. I apologize. Yeah. Um, with that said, though, oh, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> just hey, like any tool um, in the wrong hands, it has the potential to be ineffective or downright dangerous. So I feel like it is something that I've brought up on this podcast more than once. It's all about belief. What okay. you actually believe. Versus what you say out loud. Um, Here's what I'll say to it. I believe it's a piece of cardboard. And much like with everything else, you had the you add the human aspect into it. What does it become? Mm-hmm. It becomes something more than just a piece of cardboard at that point. Because now you're taking the energy within a body, the belief system within a body, and putting it on that thing. That I don't know if this is for real or not, but it could have something imprinted on the actual print itself to make something happen. And here's the thing. If I, you, I don't know if that's true. That's just a theory. I don't know if there's like a conspiracy. Here's the thing. thing. No, no, no. I'm not meaning a conspiracy. No, like, I mean like over at Milton Bradley. No, no, no. Like a, a symbol or something like that that is on it that gives the, the board itself, excuse me, the board itself power that could actually enhance the energy of the human body to bring something forward. And here's the thing, in my opinion. That's just a theory that I heard that was going around. But if you take three of the people that you just described where this is just a board and this is just what it's used for, communication, yeah. right? But you take the one person that's only heard the stigmas and they're like, this is how you talk to demons. <laughs> okay. Then, because of the neutrality versus the one person who believes in the negativity and no counterbalance to the positivity, then it goes negative. You know what I mean? It's net With negative. With three positives and one negative? But, no. Here's the thing. It's not three positives, though. Three people believe it's oh, just okay, a board. I see what you mean. Okay. So it's three neutral and one negative versus no positive. Yeah, no, I get what you mean on that. But, like, I would never use a Ouija board. I just wouldn't uh, do it. I just don't like them. I, just, in the past, I think they're stupid. But I have a Ouija board story that I will tell on yeah, another episode. I've heard about it's it. Fine. But there, no, that's... Yeah, there's, some, there's some interesting... It's interesting. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. It's um, interesting. But no, that's my story on a 3,500-year-old Babylonian tablet that depicted the first ghost. And I thought it was really cool that you couldn't see it, 
unless you put it under a light and, and it tilted the light. Really that's, that's it's like a 3D picture before they were 3D. Man, so people like then are clever just in different ways. Well, whether or not they did it that way or not, or it's just time has withered it away, and, I don't know. Sure, that's incredibly possible because I mean, if you're looking at it, it literally is a carved stone. Yeah. Um. So who knows? Yeah, but no. Uh, read the article for those of you who are listening, and on you find the article on our Facebook page. Please yeah. read the article; it's very, very interesting. I did go ahead and post uh, SmithsonianMag.com with a thirty-five-year-old Babylon, thirty-five hundred-year-old Babylonian tablet, uh, earliest known depiction of a ghost. And then I also went through and posted. Um, uh, the early sightings, uh, famous ghosts and haunted places, mm-hmm. with a story of an ancient Roman writer who potentially was the first to. Well, uh, that guy kind of changed it. Like, from what I read of the article when I read it, a lot of like H.G. Wells, uh, Edgar Allan Poe actually took a lot from this guy's writings. So interesting. Because that was the first one. It like changed the writing style. I dig it. Uh, much like a lot of other writers have changed writing styles from one genre to another, uh-huh. much like Nirvana did with music. Sure, sure. Um, there's always going to be that person that changes the mold. Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> so that guy was the guy that changed horror, and I guess a lot of people were considering him the father of modern horror books. That's awesome. So it, it, I just thought that was interesting, a good way to kick off this podcast. No, um, I agree wholeheartedly. Since we're talking about spooky and all this, and I couldn't make up my mind on what story I was going to do. All the way back to the origin of spooky. Right. So kick it off at the origin of horror and paranormal and the earliest recorded paranormal thing. Like, what better it. way to kick off the episode than that? So Literally perfect right. intro. Yeah. So that's my story, and I'm done. I dig it. I dig it. Add commentary after this. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I think we added commentary during the whole thing. No, so. I love it. That was That was... I loved it. So, um, who wants to go next? I'm going. I'm doing it. Okay, cool. So you better up. I got you. So I have actually, um, <laughs> I have decided to cover something pretty interesting. So for starters, <clears throat> let me get down here right quick. Um. There is an island um, way out there in the middle of nowhere, um, several miles off the coast of Italy, uh, known as Poveglia. Hmm. If I were to not uh, bastardize the pronunciation with my English-speaking self, it would be something more along the lines of Poveglia. Um, okay. But that's not what we do here in America. We just need to start letting Google say it. <laughs> we fuck up everything. So, Pavaglia. Let's just invite V over to tell you how yeah. Italian word hey, Where are you, dude? Anyway. Uh, so, Pavaglia Island first appears in the historical record uh, back in 1421 A.D. So, very, very, very old. What is happening, which is so funny that you say all this, is that actually this was actually a time just prior to the fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and Romans were actually fleeing the invasion of the Huns, and that's why they ended up on Paveglia. They were using it as sort of a safe haven because it is an island with you know water yeah. surrounding all sides. And it was very, very easy for them to stem off attacks uh, from the mainland. So 
it was a great little defensible defensible position for them. Yeah, but if you've got horses, not navies, then you're good. That's exactly right. <laughs> and the Huns had horses, not navies. So, yeah. Now we know where George R. R. Martin got it from. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that said, uh, so many Romans, uh, you know, they went to this island. Mind you, you're, you're talking about 17, 17 miles, 17 square miles of island as far as it all is, is concerned over uh, three different patches of land that are all right next to each other there that make up the island of Paveglia. The Huns decided, you know what, this is a big pain in our asses. You know, getting over to this island is is just, it's not going to happen. It's easy, easy for them to defend it. Screw it, they're on the other side. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, they jumped the river, so forget it, they're over there. Hashtag so, Chris Porter. <laughs> uh, they kind of they got away with it, and the Romans right. were safe over there and built their civilization, their population increased. Um, they, they built the island up with, you know... Uh, standardized housing at the time, which was, you know, mud and brick and things like that, and driftwood and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a good little place for them to live. Uh, right about the ninth century is when things were really kind of kicking off. Uh, the population of the island was beginning to grow, it was getting uh, increased importance over uh, the following centuries as like a place, because the way that it works, uh, there is, it sits right outside of a bay, um, where ship traffic is very, very easy to come and go. And it's a great little spot that's got like a port where they can sort of pull into this like canal and get the ships like checked and you know, who are you? What are you bringing yeah. into the country? It's right off the coast of Venice, which is one of the biggest trading cities in that entire part of the world. So it was, it was just a great little spot for people to be to, for shipping and trading and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, it worked out really, really well. Eventually, uh, Paveglia came under the governance of a dedicated podesta, which in Italian means like, like the actual government took ownership of. Right. So it became a, a property of Venice. Uh, in 1379 uh, was when the Genoan Navy fleet attacked. And this... The people of, uh, of Paveglia were actually moved off of the island back to the mainland to sort of spare them from these attacks because they were right on the water. So, ugly stuff. Huge battle. Lots of deaths. It was, it was horrible. Ugly. Yeah. 16th century, which is right around the 1527 mark, um, the, the doge, which is actually the government of Venice, decided that they were going to offer the island to uh, the Camadalese monks as like, here, take this island, make it your holy place, you know, build your church, whatever. The monks pretty much said, yeah, fuck you, bye. <laughs> so even they knew at this point that... They were fighter monks. <laughs> exactly. Even they knew at this point that something was terribly, terribly wrong with this island, almost to the point that there was a lot of speculation going around that it was already haunted by the Roman soldiers who had died there with the situation with the Huns <laughs> trying to get them. And then, of course, you know, the Genax from the Genoan, attacks from the Genoan fleet. And then, of course, uh, you know, they're saying, okay, so this place is already haunted. It's already cursed. 
We yeah. want nothing to do with this. We're out. Thank you, but no thank you. So, come the 17th century, the Venetian government constructed five octagonal forts, which were to protect and control the entrances of the lagoon that Paveglia sat on. Uh, this was right about the year 1640, 45. Um, by 1776, um, uh, Paveglia came under uh, the jurisdiction of the public health office. Uh, which was a part of the government in Italy. And it became an official checkpoint for goods and people that were traveling in and out of Venice by ship. In 1793, um, a couple of ships pulled through, and there were actually two cases, there were two different ships, where the sailors um, had the plague. And at that time, they were like, we have no idea what this thing is. This is not something that was in Italy. This is not something that was, you know, they didn't know what it was. So, of course, they said, okay, oh, stop right here. You're in Paveglia. You are not coming into Venice. This is where you have to sit right now because clearly you've got something nasty going on and we don't want it. So, they actually took and turned the island of Pabeglia into a confinement station for the ill. Uh, they call it El Lazaretto. Mm -hmm. uh, so that role uh, by 1805 uh, became completely permanent. Like that it is a quarantine island, period, end of story. If you were there when these ships came in and these people had the plague, tough shit, you're right. stuck, you're not coming to the mainland, period, end of story. So, um, 1805 or so, Napoleon Bonaparte comes along, he's doing his thing. Ah, oh, shorty. Exactly, shorty man. So he looks over at Pavegli and he says, oh, this is a super defensible place, nobody goes there, it's a quarantine island, nobody wants to be in there, nobody wants to get sick, nobody wants to plague, etc., etc., etc. So he actually starts storing a mass amount of weapons and gunpowder on Paveglia. Because why would anybody go there? So... Um, lots of other crazy things happen under his rule. He unfortunately um, knocked down an entire amazingly beautiful church and only left uh, the tower standing, which he turned into a lighthouse. So, okay, they did kind of need a lighthouse, but the church probably should have been torn down. Anyway, lots and lots and lots more death, because then Napoleon's enemies found out that there was a massive locker of weapons and gunpowder stored on the island. So what did they do? They attacked. They're like, yeah, we're going to go get this shit. So then you have armies fighting, civilians, people who were on this island because they were trapped there because it was a quarantine island, are dying because of these weapons that aren't even supposed to be stored there to begin with. So you have thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths on this island. Um, yeah, it was just, it was awful. So, you continue on into the future, and eventually the Lazaretto was actually closed in 1814. Um, and one of the existing buildings on the island was converted into an asylum for the mentally ill. Uh, later on in life, uh, it would be used as other things, but during this time, right around the 1930s, there was actually this doctor who was in charge of the facility. He was sort of like the main doctor. Um, and this guy was awful. 
he was doing lobotomies before lobotomies were cool. Yeah. Wait, Wait hold on. <laughs> when were they cool? You remember that, like, literally... I'm every, hung up on the cool part. Every, every mental asylum back in the day was doing lobotomies. Because they just thought this was going to somehow cure people. Yeah, to be fair, I feel like at a certain age it was kind of what you would consider cutting-edge technology and somebody mm-hmm. was trying to get it right. Well, no this, guy, on cutting. this guy sort of started More like that. poker. So he he is giving lobotomies. He is, you know, he's this this. He, it goes way beyond that. You know, he's cutting people open and doing these really really awful, sadistic, disgusting experiments that, honestly, I, I'm not even going to talk about because they're foul and, and sickening. Um, thinking, you know what? These people are doomed anyway, so I'm going to do whatever I want. Hmm. So he's just cutting them open, doing all kinds of weird scientific and just. His own personal research kind of stuff to them. (laughs) Yeah, it was gross. So, over the course of the years, this doctor slowly but surely started seeing ghosts. And he stopped eating. He stopped sleeping. He said he couldn't sleep because every time he tried to sleep, the ghosts of the people who he did weird experiments on were there. And they were in his mind, and they were in his room, and they would touch him and push him and take his things and call out to him day and night to the point where he literally went mad, climbed up to the top of the bell tower in the, in the new church, and jumped to his death. Hmm. Interestingly enough... Sounds like he got what he deserved. Exactly. But interestingly enough, there was actually a secondary account of what actually happened to him. And the story goes <laughs> that a nurse actually witnessed him jumping from the tower. Yeah. But she said that he did not at all jump. She saw him up there in the bell tower gripping at his neck, scratching at his neck as if someone actually had hands around his throat and was choking him. And his body went completely limp before so it was... So he could have been dead before he even jumped. Before it was pushed. Hmm. So this woman has speculated that the spirits that tormented him actually choked him to death and then just chucked him off of the tower. That's weird. Right? Like that, I I know it's possible because I've been pushed before. Mm-hmm. But That's to actually kill someone, like, I mean, granted, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I thought that that was only, like, it's only ever been reported from like possessions. Exactly. Something like that. Exactly. And this is suggestive that 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 the ghosts that were surrounding this man, uh, literally, were so incredibly vengeful that they ganged up and killed him. So I love it. Wow. <laughs> um, so not long after this, it was that was the 30s when that happened. In 1968, the mental hospital was actually closed. Uh, the island was completely abandoned. Uh, in 1975, there was an attempt made to establish a geriatric center on the island, uh, but that completely failed. Construction crews went um, to try to basically the the mental institution that was there was operating. Um, so when the island was first used for basically housing for plague victims yeah it was 
structured around the idea that it was just trying to house people. So there weren't, you know, cells or private rooms or anything like that. So when it turned into a mental institution, um, they were trying to, you know, keep people apart. And this crazy guy goes over here and this, this guy goes over here and, you know, whatever. So it had to completely change purposes to the point where with the people who were in the insane asylum, they were literally stacked like four or five people to one bed. Because there just, there wasn't enough space. Hey. Right? <laughs> so it stayed like that. And then, you know, so when the construction crews came in, in in like 75 to try to, you know, switch this over and make it um, a geriatric facility that actually was, you know, functional and operational, um, crews of you know, super normal construction workers laying concrete and brick and whatever else they needed to do. Kind of um, the same stuff. And they were actually flat run off the island by the spirits. Huh. Um, spirits in their faces uh, screaming at them to go away and that they don't belong and stepping out of dark corners to, to throw. Yeah. Throw. And they were actually even throwing items at them, like large items, like bricks or boards. And their equipment was, was like shovels. They would come back one morning and find like all of their shovels and all of their sort of like digging equipment and pickaxes and things like that were chucked into the canal. Yeah. Um, wow. Crazy shit. Crazy shit. So they were like, nope, not doing it. Leave me alone. So that <laughs> failed horribly. Um, that went on all the way up to 2014. The island was it was abandoned again in '75 because the construction workers were like, "Nope, not doing it." Up in 2014, exactly. <laughs> in 14, the Italian state uh, they decided to auction off what was a 99-year lease of the island of Poveglia to an Italian businessman named Luigi Bernaro. They wanted this man, they were like super excited because they were like, okay, we totally want this guy to get this place, redevelop it, you know, make a great little marina, a luxury hotel, some restaurants, you know, like really build this up. Um, so it would have been all, all good and gravy. The man bid extremely well. Um, his bid was accepted by the Italian government and when the man had the same exact issues with construction crews yeah. where they were being uh, verbally and physically attacked by the spirits on this island um, that abruptly ended hmm. so um, that man does not own it the lease did not go through it was cancelled right then and there uh, in 2015 um, a private group of folks attempted to do a fundraiser to again some sort of a construction thing a public park a marina a restaurant a hostel a study center um but that all fell through also and as of this moment in 2023 um the island is still completely vacant wow uh, and it is so bad that the italian government has marked it completely off limits you can go to the state and get get permission to go to the right. island for various purposes of like research or, or filmography or whatever right. but uh for the most part if you are caught on the island without permission 
Um, you face very, very heavy fines and jail time. Okay. And I don't want to go to an Italian jail. Not I mean, so the meal's much. probably great, but... <laughs> so, obviously, there is a whole lot. There is a whole lot of paranormal activity that goes on. Uh, visitors have reported hearing disembodied voices, crying, screaming, echoing through the abandoned buildings. Uh, some people have claimed that they heard desperate pleas of long-dead plague <coughs> victims. Um, coughing and choking and, you know, in the throes of death. Uh, phantom footsteps uh, of unseen entities roaming through the decaying halls. Witnesses have reported seeing shadowy figures or full-bodied apparitions moving through the ruins, especially around the hospital and the asylum. Uh, they've heard wicked and eerie laughter uh, echoing through the abandoned structures. Um, hinting at the tormented souls that are said to linger there from not just the plague but the wars and every other nasty thing that happened there. Sounds like there's been a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they hear whispers, faint whispers, distant whispers, uh, whispers right in your ear. Um, the bell of the church tower that was removed over 200 years ago, they can still hear it ringing hmm. um, on the hour most of the time. Uh, cold spots, warm spots at various places on the island, even when it's not, you know, weather change or, or you know, sunset when, you know, temperature's changing. Uh, feelings of unease, discomfort, being watched, uh, even being preyed upon uh, is something that people have, have witnessed a lot. Uh, ghost hunters and paranormal investigators report uh, massive, massive amounts of like equipment being erratic and crazy and battery drains and things just quitting altogether for no good reason. Um, objects moving on their own, uh, strange, unexpected occurrences like like something moving where nothing just walked through there. Yeah. Uh, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. The so, so one story that really stuck out to me, so there was, okay, let's see here. As the story goes, mind you, this is just a story. I, this has not been substantiated in any way. Uh, as the stories go, uh, some unnamed folks decided to visit the island, um, completely not allowed, they did not have permission. Uh, the visitor was cautiously making their way through the dilapidated hallways guided only by the faint light flickering through shattered windows from the moonlight. Suddenly, he froze in his tracks, overcome by an eerie sensation that seemed to emanate from a nearby doorway. Peering inside, they were met with a ghostly figure. The apparition appeared as a shadowy silhou silhouette, its features indistinct yet unmistakably human. It stood still, its presence radiating an overwhelming sense of sorrow and despair. The witness recounted feeling an inexplicable connection to the figure, as if it were silently pleading for acknowledgement. In a breathless moment, the apparition seemed to dissolve into thin air, leaving the witness shaken and profoundly affected by the encounter. He quickly left the building, unable to shake the feeling of a lingering presence. Uh, and while this account remains unverified, uh, it is just another piece of vividly illustrated anecdotal evidence speaking to the fact that Pavetlia is 
potentially one of the most haunted places on Earth. Hmm. Neat. Sounds like it. And I thought it was awesome. I dug it. I mean, it is awesome. It's one of those places that I would definitely uh, hit up if I was down for spending time in an Italian prison, possibly. Right. <laughs> it's not, not really, really to do that. It's not really the thing. I don't think that... Never mind. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll actually get permission and go do it. So it, it, it has... The island has actually been uh, visited by a... Um, he whom we will not speak... <laughs> unfortunate wealthy uh, American ghost hunting crew <clears throat> it was on TV and lies a lot money buys everything folks it's just the way life goes everything <laughs> kind of sounds like his last name would be in Lord of the Rings yes exactly that's exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> his name's not Frodo yeah. <laughs> these two just got it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, other than that, um, um, I believe that Ghost Hunters International attempted to get uh, permission to go after it at one point, but I never did hear what came out of that. From what I understand, the Italian government, um, you know, I mean, they're not just letting any Tom Decker Harry head over there uh, because, I mean, the dilapidation minimally is is bad right so you know chances are really good something's gonna fall on you it's probably gonna be like the ceiling of a 200 year old building you know but mm, you know i mean to be fair ghi i don't feel like they were on the air for enough seasons to have gone through enough time two seasons yeah i I I think so two maybe three but it probably wouldn't be enough time for like a government to approve something sure sure. like there's there's red tape all over that shit all over that shit i i did hear some rumors that they were coming back but i nothing has been i i haven't heard anything substantiated (laughs) i actually really like that show yeah, it was a good show. <laughs> Listen, maybe that's why we hate Frodo so much, is because we grew up on uh, good til- paranormal television. Good right. paranormal television you know, that actually did stuff. That was actually more Sorry, realistic, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because the realism of it is, you can sit in a place for you know four, five, six hours and have like one thing happen, and that's it. Or Listen, that's real. <laughs> I will say yeah. it every time somebody asks, ghost hunting is. 80% boring as shit uh-huh. and 20% get me the fuck out of here. When it's on, it's <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. And when it's not, No, nah, because I get bored very easily yeah. and there's some times where I'm sitting there like, alright, I'm done. Like, this is, like there's this nothing is going on. As soon as I go to leave, it all pops. Of a sudden, all Ghost of a sudden. hunting is the hobby version of fishing. <laughs> it really is. You sit there staring at the lake all day Which long. Which is hilarious because I actually hate fishing. I mean, to be fair, though, at least with fishing, you can sit there and why shit's not going on, you can drink beer without being looked at funny. I mean, true. If you do that during ghost time, you're going to be like, that's why you saw some shit. That's right. Well, I don't (laughs) think it'll be looked at funny. It'll just be like... Yeah, you're... You really won't be trusted. Yeah. Right, right. (laughs) You didn't see ghosts. That's what you're trying to dab up the ghost. All right. Right, right. So, yeah, but I I absolutely love that story. I had so much fun researching it. Um, <laughs> the ghosts don't want a beer. <laughs> right. Obviously, because, you know, it's right up my alley as far as history goes. But, I mean, we're talking stuff clear back clear back to 452 A.D. That's, that's, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. 
Well, like I said, it's a long time ago, but in the grand scheme scheme of things, it hasn't been all that long. Agreed. Agreed. So, like. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, to be fair, I've wanted to. I want. I've wanted to visit that place ever since I've known about it. Agreed. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's just it's insane to think that like you know the Romans who went there, they saw spirits from from you know prior to the land being inhabited that we we're aware of. Uh, the the people who populated it afterwards saw spirits of the Romans. Um, then the plague victims came and they saw spirits of the Romans. And then people were seeing spirits of the plague victims. And then, you know, then the the insane asylum victims. I mean, like it, it just it, it just never ever stopped. Did you? They actually said. Did they? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, archaeologists have estimated. <laughs> Uh, because of literally well over 100, maybe 150,000 people uh, passed away on the island or of the plague and then were taken to the island, their bodies were, to be burnt um, because that's just what they did with them. They burnt them right. uh, to try to kill the virus. Which, um, But, yeah, archaeologists claim that about 50% of the soil uh, on the island of Paveglia is made of human ash. Wow. Yeah, literal. Yeah. That's insane. That's crazy um, shit. The reason why, I, something sparked in my head when you said, like, the, the Romans went there and then the, the plague victims went there, so I'll go to the Romans. Mm-hmm. Have they seen, like, Romans and plague victims there, or has it always been replaced by something else? No, no, no. It's all, all of it. All, okay. all of it. Yeah. Um, but also keep in mind that these stories go so far back in history that they really are just stories at this point. There's right. really nothing recorded. There's really, you know, I mean, the Italian government will stand behind it and say, yeah, the place is fucking spooky. Well, that's because they want you to stay off the island. So <laughs> That's actually why they want you to stay off the island. Because yeah. They, well, it's, yeah. it's very, very much like the story that we spoke of where... The people um, in New York, yeah. Yeah, exactly. York, yeah. Or, or when, you know, the... the Irish government built their road the highway around going the tree. around <laughs> a bush. You know, it's the same exact thing. They're like, yeah. they're like, no, this place is fucked up. Stay away. Um, we would rather not have to deal with I you know, your corpse out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, just a good old fashioned spooky story. Look, once I'm dead, I don't care what happens to my body. So. Sure enough, sure enough. So. Anyway. All right. So. We've got one more story to go. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I'm excited well, to hear it. All right. Yeah, there's only three of us. <clears throat> so first off, uh, you guys can go ahead and blow me up in any comments section or the Facebook page. I apologize. I was unable to find an authentic, true story about said Bobby Yaga. <laughs> uh, all right. You did preface it last week because I forgot what we were doing this week, so I had to listen to the podcast find out what we were doing. Um, <laughs> you did say it, it could be, it doesn't have to necessarily be true, but folklore, it could be anything, so, but I give it to you. So what I'll say is, I mean, we're going to go Baba Yaga adjacent. Adjacent, that's weird. Alright. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to just not come out chupacabra. Not or parallel, <laughs> but adjacent. Right. Adjacent. Alright. <laughs> I am not going to just come out and say what my story is about. I'm just going to jump into it because it's more fun that way. Cool. Uh, but first, I'm going to set the scene. Uh, you two. And Ooh, all, role play. Cool. And Ooh. all of the listeners at home. All right. Uh, 
I want you to roleplay this. Uh, get into the mindset, if you will. Uh, What's my motivation? You are police officers Dumb. from the King County Police Department in Seattle, Washington. Ooh. You've been bi- dispatched after your department was contacted by a woman from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Wait a second. I'm a cop from Seattle, but I'm going to Fayetteville? No. Listen. Okay. So, you've been dispatched after your department was contacted by a woman from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Oh, To perform a wellness check on a friend living in Seattle. Okay, so I'm heading back into my shadow run days with this one. Uh, after <laughs> not getting a response to the door, at the door, uh, you're given approval to go ahead and enter the establishment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, to perform your duties. Uh, after opening the door to the apartment, this is what you see. Uh, you see a white powdery substance lining the walls, windows, and doors. Small piles of said powder in the corners of rooms. Uh, crucifixes litter the walls of the apartment. Burnt down white candles randomly, randomly strewn about the rooms. Uh, together with dozens of books about black, ma- black magic, protection from witchcraft, and the occult. Uh, that's when you notice music playing throughout the apartment. Uh, church organs play uh, throughout hymnal music as it plays throughout the apartment like a service announcement. <laughs> Enough RP. I'll leave you there for the moment. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm already out the door. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, there's some salt, there's some cleansing candles, and get the Listen, fuck out. Listen, I rolled high on my athletics. I got out quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, on April 11th. A 35-year-old man named Christopher Case was attending a work event in San Francisco. But before we pick up there, I should tell you a little bit about Mr. Case. Uh, Christopher Case was born on August 8th in 1955 and grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Chris was described by his friends as being highly intelligent, sophisticated, ambitious, friendly, and overall just a well-rounded guy. Christopher's biggest passions in life were music and physical fitness. He loves studying and producing music, but specifically ancient music. Music from Greece, Egypt, and Rome. Kind of a really obscure and niche thing, and oddly specific in a way. Uh, so it's in the mind. That's actually really cool. <laughs> but that will come into play later. Uh, a lot of sources say that Chris was also the type of person that you would basically label nowadays as like a gym rat. Like, uh, he was yeah. super into just keeping up with himself and... Get buff, bro. Um, <laughs> not buff so much as, like, fitness. Like, oh, son of a bitch. That just... I'm so sorry. I'm gonna squirrel for two seconds. Do you remember that show way back in the day where they were interviewing that surfer guy with the crazy blonde hair and he said that he had uh, a board in one hand and a babe in the other? Or maybe it was a beer in one hand and a babe in the other? I don't know. It's fucking hilarious. Anyway... <laughs> Alright, audience, I just want you to know that Joe and I are looking at each other like, what? Uh, it, was, it was hilarious. Uh, Alright, so, back on track. In the year 1991, at the age of 35, Chris was working at a small town radio... as a eh, Not at. Chris was working as a small town radio personality in North Carolina. All the while still producing music and studying ancient, ancient musical composition. Uh, not quite satisfied with where he was at, 
Chris began searching for an opportunity elsewhere. It wasn't long before he received one such opportunity in the form of a job offer, an executive position at a company called Muzak Holdings in Seattle. I have heard of that. If you are unfamiliar with this company, it's probably for good reason. You see, Muzak Holdings, I promise you, you have heard their music before, just without knowing it. Every time you are on hold, or in an elevator, or in a waiting room, or in a department store that's got lo-fi music with no words, uh, they have a stranglehold on that market. They are basically the only major company that does that type of music. They do Also, the only music I dance to. <laughs> right? Um, either way. Uh, so, Music Holdings offered Chris a job as a musical executive, which he accepted immediately. Uh, from all accounts, Chris was super huge into travel, and this job came with a lot of that, so he accepted the job and moved to Seattle. Uh, being the friend he was, he also made sure to tend to his roots in North Carolina, always calling and checking in and up on his friends and family there. Uh, so, back to the current timeline. On April 11th of 1991, in San Francisco, on a business trip, uh, while attending this trip and meeting with other executives from Muzak in San Francisco, Chris is introduced to a woman. Um, this is where the trip down the rabbit hole really begins. Uh, Chris and this woman are talking, and being at this meeting of musical executives, this woman just happens to mention that, of all things, she has an intense passion for ancient music, in particular, Egyptian and Mediterranean civilizations. Again, this is a really weird, obscure thing, all right? The, yeah, I would have been thinking like... just happens to be into yeah. also. What the frick? Right. This is odd, yeah. but I'm rolling with it. Anyway, sure. so much like Joe, it dodges the red flags. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, of course, this triggers the two to begin an in-depth conversation about the depths of their love for this rather obscure hobby. Uh, so about halfway into this conversation, it becomes apparent this woman is really into Chris. Uh, like, really, really. Um, <laughs> as it happens, uh, she was making moves, and Chris, being on a business trip and not the one-night stand type of guy, was politely declining her advances. This is where the story escalates rather quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to people like us, becomes a, somewhere between a well shit and a fucking terrifying moment. Yeah. Uh, this moment went, this woman went from being a super sweet and charming woman to visibly enraged. Wow. To what? To visibly <laughs> enraged. <laughs> so. with anger. She was like, hey, come check out my apartment. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And no, he's like, no. no, I'm good, thank you. And he's like, nah, I'm good. And she went from sweet and charming to visibly enraged. Sounds typical. Right. Uh, so this is when advice. the woman turns to Christopher <laughs> and says that she is a witch. And because he rejected her, he would be dead within seven days. Well, that's just super... Nice. That's super. Now, according okay, to friends, 
Again, that escalated quickly. All right. Uh, so Chris, you know, now according to friends, Christopher was not a religious man, uh, and he didn't really buy into the whole supernatural or paranormal shit. Uh, so at this point, Chris is probably thinking, okay, then clearly a solid choice. I I dodged the red flag bullet. Right. right? Yep. yep. <laughs> Uh, so the trip ends, he goes back home to Seattle, and the next day he calls his friend, uh, Sammy Sodder, back in North Carolina. Uh, quick blip on Sammy, uh, she's a school teacher and allegedly a pretty gifted psychic. Interesting. So, Chris tells her all about this business trip and what happened, she and... She said, boy, you in trouble. And she kind of laughed it off and told him not to worry about it, because real witches don't do shit like that. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> It, it, to be fair, there, there's a rule of three involved, right? But yeah. bitches be crazy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> True. Witches may not. Voodoo practices. Maybe. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit, little bit tense. Uh, so for the next day, things seemed fairly normal for Chris. Then uh, on April 14th, I'm sorry, 13th, two days after he got home, uh, he would call Sammy up that night in a little bit of a panic. Uh, according to Sammy, Chris had told her that he had been up all night long and was unable to sleep because he was hearing voices and shadows were moving in his apartment. Wow. He told her that shadows were walking in and out of his room and through his walls, and he felt like something was in his room watching him. Um, over the next four days, Christopher's torment by the unseen forces would seemingly only get worse. Uh, making more panic phone calls to Sammy throughout the week. Then on April 16th, Sammy receives a phone call from Chris, where in her words, she said that he was sounding the most terrified she had ever heard. Uh, Chris had told her that the night prior, he had been violently attacked by an unseen entity. He said the entity repeatedly began choking him and lifting him from his mattress by the neck. Jesus. I mean, time to move, dude. Right. <laughs> uh, he also mentioned that the voices had not stopped, and the shadow figures had intensified had, had intensified as well. Uh, apparently, this had scared him so badly that he told Sammy that he was going to leave his apartment and go to a hotel to try and get some sleep. Um, the following morning, on April seventeenth, uh, he visited a religious bookstore in Seattle called uh, Evangel Incorporated. Uh, at this point, he had decided to try to take protective measures against whatever dark forces were stalking him. Uh, Rodney, the guy that owned the bookstore, recalled seeing Chris in his, uh, Chris in his store on the day of the 17th. Uh, he seemed panicked and was buying several crucifixes. Uh, Poor guy. He remembered asking him why he needed so many crucifixes, and after hearing Chris's story, he tried to help him best he could, recommending books on the subject of combating malicious witchcraft and setting up up with white candles and salt. Chris purchased these items, then left the store. Now, as a note, uh, I wanted to throw in a reminder that Chris normally didn't buy into this kind of stuff at all. Uh, so six days in, we went... <laughs> So six days in, we went from the ambitious, confident, on top of the world, new music is executive, and somewhere between atheist and agnostic, to frantically calling his friends and visiting religious bookstores, terrified to the point where he was trying to you know, prevent these evil spirits that are torturing him. 
Jesus. Um, it was at this point on the 17th at some point that Christopher not only called Sammy but all of his friends and family back home in North Carolina telling him all the same thing that he was unable to sleep constantly tormented by unseen forces the shadow figures at this point had infested his apartment and that he was being strangled and choked regularly Uh, the last thing that anyone this was the last thing that anyone had heard from Chris uh, is that he was going to try to go to the hotel again to try to get some sleep. Then, nothing. No one heard anything from Chris after that. The last thing that anyone heard from Christopher at all was a message that he left on Sammy's answering machine on April 17th at some point. Uh, Sammy had said that Chris sounded eerily calm, almost like he had accepted his fate. And, uh, I was able to find the actual recording of the answering machine message. I have got to hear this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to play this and hopefully the volume is not too low and we're just going to go ahead and play the message. Uh, okay, here is it for me and Keith to listen to. Hi, Sammy. This is Christopher. Uh, well, they just about got me. You know, they're trying to, they're, they're not trying to kill me. So what I'm going to do to set myself doesn't work anymore. That's what it's coming down to. Uh, I'm looking forward to tonight. It's, uh, it's serious. It's fairly serious. Uh, my life. There you go. What the so fuck was that? Hold on. Said? Was that's everything it. he's doing? That was trying what? isn't working? And was, then... No, no, no. Y'all didn't hear that voice in the background? <laughs> uh... Go ahead. So I, I did not at the time. Okay. So so for starters, I'll listen to it again later. Like okay. no, actually, unfortunately, that's as clear as it's going to get. I, I, I actually itself. would like for you to turn it down just the slightest bit because I feel like it was a little loud on my equalizer here, and then I want you to play it one more time. Oh boy, uh, let me see if I can. <laughs> and you know what? Something when you hear the tech, I go, oh boy. Exactly. <laughs> And guys and gals, um, if you are hearing this, um, let me know. Say something. Well, post on the page. Post the website of where you found this. We will. We will, in fact, post the site. Uh, I will post the site and the timestamp of where exactly I found it. Um, So I found the actual answering machine message. It's it's another podcast. Uh, Shout out to That Chapter Podcast. That uh, chapter. Shut up. Yep. It's that chapter podcast. Uh, but they also post their podcasts on YouTube with just generic videos. Uh, so this is uh, the name of the video is the terrifying case case of Christopher Case uh, from that chapter podcast. Uh, the timestamp I will go ahead and check it, but should be somewhere around the twenty five minute and fifty five second mark. It's also a like forty minute podcast, so let me play this and see if I'm in the right. I should be in the right area, judging by the picture. But Christopher on our answering machine. Oh, interesting. Okay. Do you want to listen to it actually? Yeah, apparently. Uh, okay, here is it for me and Keith to listen to. Hi, Sammy. This is Christopher. Uh, well, they just about got me. You know, they're trying. They're they are trying to kill me. So what I'm gonna do to set myself doesn't work anymore. That's what it's coming down to. Uh, I'm looking forward to tonight. It's uh, it's 
That's he, the call. He seems to really just accept it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's it's right after he says like both right before and right after he says my so, life. There's a sub little sub voice in the back. So what you might also be hearing uh, is if you'll notice during the answering machine message is the Christian hymnal music that's that playing in the been. background. Yeah. Yeah, that could have been it. So I mean, that's insane. He literally said to her. Everything that I've been trying is not working, and they're, they're, they almost succeeded. They're trying it's, to kill it's me. It's getting serious. They're trying to kill me. Yeah. And everything that we've tried to defend myself is not working. not working. Uh, so now, on April 18th of 1991, seven days after this woman claimed to have cursed him, police officers responded to a wellness check and entered his apartment. There, they found a white powdery substance lining the walls, windows, and doors with small piles of powder in the corners of the rooms. Crucifixes littered the walls of the apartment. Burnt down white candles randomly strewn about the rooms, uh, together with dozens of books about black magic, protection from witchcraft, and the occult. Um, That's when they noticed the music playing in the background. Yeah. Uh, as you heard on the answering machine message. Um, it was at this point where they began to search the apartment. Uh, and as they entered the bathroom of Chris's apartment, uh, that's where they found his lifeless body. Kneeled in a tub, surrounded by burnt down white candles and more books on the occult. Uh, Richard Garner of the Kings County Medical Examiner uh, after, performing, after performing a full autopsy on Chris, ruled his death acute myocarditis. He uh, scared himself to death? His heart literally just stopped. So, with all that said, that leaves us with one of two options. Either mind over the matter, and Chris literally scared himself to death, or... Something he had a chance encounter and unwittingly fucked with the Baba Yaga. I knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that there are tales out there of things that we could that we well, haven't seen that could literally scare us to death, and, and it's absolutely true. You 100% can scare yourself to death. I remember in grade school watching a video in health class at some point where they were teaching us about like the powers of the brain and whatnot, and one person had gotten locked in a refrigerator train car mm-hmm. that was not plugged not in anything, yeah, not working, but his brain made him believe that the refrigerator yeah. train car was working, and he literally froze to death. Yeah, he died of hypothermia. Isn't that some shit? That is. But so, <clears throat> the irony is... Yeah, there is... Yeah, the mind is a powerful tool, yes. But there are otherworldly things out there that have been reported through the ages that could literally scare you to death just by their mere presence. Yeah, So, absolutely. whether or not it's one or the other, I have no idea. But... It sounds like if he, from that message that you played, if he's believing it that much and it is messing with him, yeah, your mind's a powerful tool. It can't actually make you mm-hmm. believe things that aren't actually there. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, schizophrenia is like that. True. So. I guess my only hang up with it is that, by all accounts, like, 
he didn't believe in religious or paranormal or superstitious shit at all. And even yeah. that first day when he got back, he's like, whatever. I yeah. don't. And then slowly things started happening. So. And they never knew who the woman was or anything? Um, or they just didn't talk about it? Due to investigations and no proof from said police department, so her, her name was not released. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. This information, actually, you can look it up. Uh, there is an article about this in the Seattle Times from May of 1991. So it would have been the following month. Like well, it's, it's literally an article in the Seattle newspaper. I'm just happy I didn't run into that chick because I was out in Seattle not too long ago and I was at some bars. Well, I remember so, this was on a business trip in San Francisco, so you dodged that. She can travel. <laughs> so it looks here like they're even calling uh, they're calling it the witch's curse the strange oh. death of Christopher Case yep that's really really interesting so did he scare himself to death or was he cursed by a witch you know uh, I mean both are actually plausible it's true um, so what I would like to say is going off of both it, it doesn't matter uh, how you look at things, okay? Uh, I'm trying to wrap my head in organized thoughts and how I want to specifically say this. Um, and it's kind of how I view protection when we go out and do these investigations, right? right? Uh, for me, everything is belief above all. Right. <laughs> um, so it doesn't matter how you really look at things. Um, as long as you fully commit and believe it yourself. Uh, what I mean by that is, and ironically we just had this conversation about like what you say out loud versus what you're really thinking on the porch. Like We, right, we, we right. mentioned that, right? right. But uh, I believe that spirituality and faith and belief in supernatural and paranormal things work quite the same way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so this guy was terrified for whatever reason, be, right. be it something in his head or actual witchcraft, and right. he actually saw some shit. And despite the fact that he wasn't a religious person at that point he had become desperate and grasping at any straw mm-hmm. but grasping in something that you don't necessarily believe I don't believe does you any good yeah no. yeah, I agree it, it can't save you if you don't believe it can save you well I, I mean it, hold on that's a twofold part because yes technically you are correct but if that stuff is going on around you and you are starting to believe and you literally believe that this can save you Shouldn't your belief be strong enough, not in the person that's trying, the, the, the higher power that's trying to save you, but in the stuff that you have in front of you? Um, so I think that is where the idea of his original somewhere between atheism and agnosticism lies, right? Um, I don't know that he necessarily believed that this was going to save him so much as he hoped this was going to save I agree with that. It was probably very much like a Hail Mary. Well, I mean, even a lot of fates out there are built on hope. And not to quote Star Wars, but... <laughs> uh, I mean... The old hope, not the new one. The new one's <laughs> shit. Uh, Christianity is based on based on hope. Uh, That's what faith is, is I think hope. that the difference, though, is that 
those folks have um, they already have got this sort of cemented in their head oh yeah but I mean to where this guy was was literally grasping at straws I don't think that his faith or or hope was strong enough in any one measure for it to work I'm not saying it was strong enough but I'm saying for this argument's sake if you believe in a product strong enough shouldn't that work in this theory that we were talking about? Yeah, um, you sure? I, I am of the opinion, yes, that, that that is correct. I feel like if you are reaching for the right product, you are correct. But I feel like, as with any religion, and I'm just using Christianity for example here, uh, I feel like perhaps he wasn't reaching for God. He was reaching for something to save him. Right, and that's what I said. It Anything. wasn't in a higher power. It was in the stuff that was in front of him. But... How many times have we talked about manifestation of your beliefs? No, and I Whether it is in a higher beliefs. power or a piece of salt, you want to believe in it strong enough because you want it to happen. Well, like the the cross. The cross is one of the of the holiest symbols in all of religion for the yeah. most part. Um, but you know, without with with just a, just two pieces of wood nailed together. I mean, come on. A cross but, is just a cross. Yeah, but, it's it's, well, it's, it's, but, it's, it's yeah, symbolism that, that has a meaning. So here's the thing, though. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Joe, because you would know more about this specific subject than I would. Uh, crosses are one thing. That's clearly a symbol of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, salt, very much a witchcraft thing. Very much. Very much a protective witchcraft thing. Do they use salt? Also, I, I don't yes, know. That's um, why I'm asking. Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. I, I, so I'm no salt is. I don't know. Normally, yeah, it is a war against evil in the Bible times as well. Um, and to be fair, it is of the earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but is yeah. That's I mean, why some use some witches use brick dust. Right. Or I am of the soil that, itself. That brick dust is more effective, but that's just me. But no, um, <laughs> you are yeah no salt was used. It's it's widely known in all religions as a deterrent because of the properties within it and right. Also, it, it is of the earth. It's a natural element. It's just one of those yeah. things. So. Uh, to be fair, what I will also say is that it wasn't until the sixth day that he came across this religious shop where he got this stuff for protection. So he might have just been walking by it. Yeah. Like, so oh, this might work. Right. So, I mean, at that point... Was so it was actually seven days then? It was literally seven days. The seventh day is when they found his body. At that okay. point, it could have also been... Um, so somewhere Far, between the night of the sixth day and the seventh day when they found his body. Like sure he, he found these these relics that could potentially have given him some respite, but at the same time it was so far gone because he had already had six solid days of this really affecting his mental health and his psyche. I mean at that point or, it, it's quite possible he just didn't believe that it was actually going to work. And he here, was just trying anything. Here's an interesting sidebar that I just thought of. You said it was literally seven days, right? Mm -hmm. What if it wasn't witchcraft at all? What if it was hypnotism? Um, I... Because he didn't technically kill himself. And I know under hypnotist guide, you can't force somebody to take their own life or somebody else's life. But you can make them believe in something enough to where their body does react to it. Well, I mean, I think that that's, that really does go along with the mind over matter. Hypnotism is part of the mind over matter suggestive theory. Um, yeah, but your heart doesn't react to that. Uh, and actually, if he dies of fright, 
actually you can um, there are um, documented cases of people actually being able to um, intentionally uh, cause their own heart medically to skip one or more beats because they simply but that's controlled by the mind not the heart exactly but this is the same exact thing the (laughs) mind the mind could have potentially believed so thoroughly that it stopped the heart I think overall yeah. that's kind of what we're getting at. Yeah. So the irony is, it only takes one simple sliver of anything to input. Like, the only reason that I find this case in particular interesting is because at some point between point A and point B, seven days later, his mind had changed. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah I see that. Um, it would be different if she said something and immediately he was like, Ooh, sketched out, and that's fucked up. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it only takes one sliver of something I've found in weird consequence to alter the path of the mind, if you will. Right. So the irony that I... Go ahead, go ahead. The irony that I find in this story, and, and why I thought my wife would enjoy it so much, is A, it is based in Seattle, Washington. Right. A dude asked me Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that we are three nerdy ass paranormal investigators, we role play. That's been said on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, Shadowrun is the game that I started playing with my wife. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is based in Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're a cop. You, know, you can be a cop if you want to. Or you're running from the cops. It really just kind of depends. So I had three playing characters my wife, my friend Ryan, and my friend Brad. Hi guys, love you. Um, they were on vacation down south from Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. They got into a fisticuffs with some gang members down there, mm-hmm. and the one guy was a shaman, and he told them that in seven days this they would all the be game. dead. Got it. <laughs> this was in the game long before I knew anything about this. First of all, right. if this was in real life, I would have heard about this before now. Sure. <laughs> so he told them Actually, that in no, seven days... Oh, I promise. He told them that in seven days they would all be dead. I had every playing character in that group kill themselves on the seventh day. And it was all complete fucking horseshit accidents. And they did it. It had nothing to do with anything I was giving them. They well, did that shit and, themselves. And see, here, here's the thing. And this is uh, it's a weird subliminal message. message. Yeah. It's very over. And that's why I said the thing about hypnotism. Because yes, he may have been an agnostic and not believed anything, but I don't care what. If you're agnostic, if you don't believe in anything, we've all grown up up around a religion of some sort of a. Sure, sure. We've all heard stories. We've all, you know, it's been around. When you go through something like that and you have that suggestion in your head, you always reach to what you think will work. Agreed. Agreed. I I can understand that. So if he went six days going through the whatever he was going through in those six days before he found that, maybe that's the thing that sent him over. As far as like the dying of fright. Potentially. So maybe he saw that and was like, oh, here's my protection. And because there was really nothing happening, it was in his own head, so that stuff ain't going to work. It got to him even more on the seventh day because he knows it's the seventh day. So I mean, it really does sound to me like this This was probably a fairly intelligent, practical person. Um, I am <coughs> of the opinion that things probably really were happening to him. 
I've met some pretty stupid, practical, intelligent people. So <laughs> that's fair. I mean, to be fair, the more highly intelligent you are, book smart wise, right, the, the less dumber. common sense you yeah. generally tend that's to have, yeah. in my opinion. So incredibly true. Yeah, so incredibly true. You can't have both for some reason. It's weird. Um, I'm not I, I am under the impression. It is my belief, I guess. Even though I, I have no idea who this guy is, but I, I would tend to believe a person like that is seriously having some some shit go down or at least in his mind shit is going down exactly yeah i mean it there's a lot of things i can throw at this but, uh, okay so to be fair to wrap all of this up into a neat little bundle and this is where i'll just put the bow on it we can continue discussing that's fine but this is where i'll put the bow on it um there was no forced entry. There was no signs of a struggle. There was no evidence one way or another that, like, something had caused his death. Um, which, I mean, and to be fair, we all know that we've we've seen the cop shows. We've seen the medical examiner shows. We know that sometimes they're like, just give me the easy out. He killed himself. Whatever. Yeah. Right? Um, that and there's good sweeper teams out there. But True. <laughs> the moral of the story is there was no evidence to show anything other than his heart just stopped and he just died. Kneeled in a bathtub with white candles around him in the prayer position. That's he amazing. just died. His I heart just stopped. Like that, but all right. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were scared enough to be in a bathtub surrounded by well, yeah, I know candles, you'd make it a joke to yourself. Yeah. No, like I said, the mind is a powerful tool. It, it can, it can get you in and out of problems really quick, but it can also make a problem out of something that's not actually there. True. Uh, we see that every day with people. But, yeah, no, I like that one. Yeah, that was I, I can tell you the story about my dad, who one time as a little kid who was babysitting his siblings saw a shattered hand come out of the bathtub drain. And when my grandparents got home, my grandpa and my grandma, um, my dad was sitting on the couch, and on the coffee table in front of him was a Bible and a butcher knife. <laughs> and his exact words to my grandmother and my grandfather, God rest my grandpa's soul today, uh, was that if one didn't save him, the other one would. <laughs> Now that's practical. That is practical. That's very practical. That's practical because you can get right there. Now, what's what's fucking funny about that is if you. But I mean, it's just one of those things where the mind can manifest anything. That just makes one hundred percent sense that his dad would say something like that because knowing the man, that is that is definitely something he would say. Well, see, you know what I said earlier about the algorithm that I started noticing when I was researching this stuff. Every time we do this, all of our stories seem to connect in a certain way. I was going to say, did you notice they all connected yeah. in some little way? And whether or not... Well, also, hold on. True. But the story of his seven-day thing connecting with your Shadowrun story, not knowing that for how many years. I mean, valid. valid. There's a weird algorithm that I'm starting to see with this that is just... Yeah. There's a I, rabbit hole there to go I, down. I, I Paranormal know, stuff is fun. I, I do also <laughs> it's annoying, have to actually. though, if it has, if, if things like that are, I, I don't want to say coincidence because I don't believe that they would be coincidence, but I would say more so because the three of us are, are incredibly close to each other and we all have relatively similar opinions about the paranormal, about what is scary and about what is, 
is real and what is not real and what is theory and what is conjecture and blah blah. So like we're we're very very similar minds. We are three completely different people. But we're very similar <laughs> minds. Uh, yes and no. There's been a lot. Of, well, all right. The most fun part about having a paranormal group with us three is that we debate a lot of shit. We do. We do debate a lot. Half the time we get in arguments about it because we just get pissed. I just (laughs) think that fundamentally we are, um, we have very, very similar thought processes. And um, I think that sometimes that might lead to us uh, finding things that are sort of down the same. I I don't know about you two, but I purposely try to find something that has nothing to do with what you guys I try to find something because you guys have been in this longer than I do so I try to find things that have nothing to do with what you guys would know um, I mean, that's why I was surprised right. today when I found this I was like they didn't know about this yeah. no but, I didn't uh, I, I try to purposely do that because I want to have you guys be like oh I want to have you guys engaged in and yeah, it's something no. you already know because you've done it a couple times if it's something you already know you're just like eh, okay yeah I mean you engage but it's like you know it it, yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Like, I wasn't putting you down for it or anything. I no, no, I see what you're saying. Uh, so, yeah, I, I tend to go away from that and try to I, choose something I tr- different. I try hard uh, to keep my opinions uh, about things uh, to myself when I know that you're covering something that, right, right, right. I, know um, you know. that I know a lot about. I know you know. But at the same time, I... I also want to be like, ooh, I heard that, and did you know? Yeah. And I know I've done that a couple of times. I've been like, oh, did you also know that? Blah, 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 you know. Listen, right. I appreciate when one of you guys talks about some shit I know, so I have a minute to get up and go to the bathroom or grab a drink. <laughs> <laughs> He's left the table like twice. <laughs> Literally. I had to pee. No, no, I'm talking about the entire time of the podcast. We're sitting. Not just this one. We're literally sitting at an hour and 33 and a half minutes right now. Told you it's going to be a really? thick so Yeah. We're at an hour and six minutes between her story and mine. That's without yours included. Yeah. It didn't seem like it was that long. Thick sewed. Yeah. That's, what, ha- that's what happens when we just talk, though. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, I'm not saying anything about the time. Like, that's great. I guess my point was that. Um, if you can't sit still for an hour and a half, boy, you need some ADD medication. I, I'm, I'm an Aries. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah, but you haven't moved. Yes, I have. Okay, once. I got it four times. I went and got a pop. I went to go blow my nose. And I went to go to the bathroom. And I went you know to pee twice. Sat, I sat right here the whole damn time. So yeah. I'm glad your bladder works. You poop more than me. Uh, I am a super pooper. Random facts about me. <laughs> um, you? No. The one thing that I will say, though, is... Going along with what you both said, uh, despite the fact that I agree with what Joe said and the fact that we don't always see eye to eye, all right, but that's what makes our group fantastic is that where we do balance each other out is we all three kind of listen. Sometimes, yeah. And that, that's, when, that's when we get to have these discussions. Yeah. Well, I think one beautiful part about us as a trio is that um, there will never be a time when we just simply go along with the status quo. We are too fucking curious to not come up with our own hey, what if, what if, what if. Not curious. Anarchist. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Listen, I think about my own topic for 30 minutes and I'll change my own ass mind like three times. I'm like, well, what if this? What if that? What if this? <laughs> yeah. Fucking, remember when you said something about ADD? I got ADD. I can't help is. it. That's where right it is. There. 
I always have a plan A and plan B and plan C. So that's I, just in case one of these guys pick a story that I really want to do. It's like, well, I got back up. So half the time, I, I don't need convinced. All right, I changed my own mind. Yeah, uh, Aquarians go with the. You flow do that mid making up your mind too. Like, <laughs> sure, but no, the, like there is a weird algorithm with ghost hunting with the paranormal. There is a weird algorithm with it, and I'm like in the time frame that it flares up to dip down to flares up. It's weird, man. It, it's it, it's it's almost like a clock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's, I'll I'll talk to you guys more about it. We are already at an hour and a half. Oh, so, <laughs> well, all right. So yeah, I'm gonna skip on to the next part. So next week we are not gonna quite go back to states yet. Uh, this is what we as a group have decided we are going to do. We are going to tell all of you guys, um. All about an introduction to ghost hunting. And by that, I mean what equipment you actually need versus what's just kind of fucking nice to have. Um, and if that doesn't take up much time, like we have the weird feeling that it may not, then we will talk about our first and original ghost hunts as opposed to our more recent ghost hunts as to like the progression of ghost hunting versus yeah, yeah, absolutely. you know what I mean and you know, so getting like, more equipment and how it helps algorithm. us more and you know things the like algorithm. that the algorithm yes, of Joe. ghost hunting is exactly right <laughs> the algorithm of ghost hunting so, where everybody uh, starts out in buildings that public can just access the, and you end the, up paying for it later the theory behind this is that you know we're coming out of Halloween and Halloween is the season when um, for better or for worse a lot of paranormal investigators get started because this is just season when it's on your mind. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't take anything away from you that you got started at Halloween uh, at all. Uh, you do you. It's cool. Or you watch that one scary movie where you're like, wait. I have to go do that now. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so uh, for those of you who are budding paranormal investigators, there is plenty of ghosts in this world to go around. So... We're going to help you out and do our best to uh, answer any questions and explain equipment and how we got started and how you go about, you know, asking permission to go into places that are not public and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like, again, it'll be a lot more roundtable next week than it usually is where mm-hmm. it's just, like, story-driven. It's going to be yeah. one of those, hey, uh, yeah, this is how this works, this is how that works, so let's go. I mean, none of us actually have to look up a story this week? Oh, <laughs> fantastic! Isn't it? You know how much time that frees up? This is <laughs> shit. We already know. Uh, with that said, though, um, I would like for anybody who is curious about this stuff, even if you don't want to be an investigator, but you just have a question about it, um, you know, hop on our Facebook page. Let us know. Uh, we're we're on Facebook.com yeah. at No Lights Paranormal. You can send me an email at No Lights Paranormal at gmail.com. Um, and and we will one hundred and ten percent cover uh, every single question that we get. Um, and and make sure that you guys know the answers to them, whether it's just a personal question about how we got started or the equipment that we personally use, or if you want to get started and how, you know, questions specifically about how would I go into this. Okay, cool. Let us know. I will do my absolute best to research and answer every single question uh, that I come across, no matter what state or what country you are in. Um, if not, I'm really good at going on the fly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We're our peers. We can do this. So, yeah, we really, really ridiculously appreciate you guys, and I hope that you had a phenomenal time with our spooky, scary Halloween stories. Remember to check your children's candy. Yes, please. Seriously. Are you fucking kidding me? No. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Check, check your kids' stuff, guys. Or your own stuff, depending on if you want to. You got the acid candy, didn't you? And you liked it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> drugs are expensive. Nobody puts drugs in candy. Okay, no, but they do put razor blades, and those are fairly cheap. Really One cheap. time. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, there's some weird people out there. Yeah. That's all. That's all. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I go some. We meet a lot of those people, okay? Well, also, really, like, inflation Fair. is so incredibly bad right now that, like, one bag of candy costs, like, literally $20 fucking dollars. So, like, I mean, if you're going to be handing out candy, dude, and you're, you're going to spend that much money on them, I don't know why you'd want to sabotage the candy. That's just some shit right there. But, yeah, be careful. Have fun. I'm super glad that you joined us this Halloween, and this hopefully is the first of many Halloween specials. So, yeah, we love you guys so very much. As long much. as I got the gas to come over. Can <laughs> we go back to the inflation thing again? <laughs> yeah. All right. As always, we love you guys. Thanks for Thank you for out. listening. Thank you for listening to this Babylon for an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> we hope you had and fun. Don't fuck with Bobby Yaga. Yep. Don't do it. Don't do it. Jeez. <laughs>